This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the MLB Extras Cleveland Indians podcast. I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, joined by Indians reporter Jordan Bastian. And JB, you were off last week. We haven't done one of these in a couple weeks. And since we uh, last spoke, the tribe's uh, world was set aflame by some uh, rumors <laughs> that they're shopping everybody on the roster, not named Francisco Lindor or Jose Ramirez. Um, you know, you and I had kind of uh, talked about this a little bit at the conclusion of the postseason, the brief postseason for the Indians, um, that, you know, maybe uh, maybe it makes sense to trade a Corey Kluber at this stage of the game. They, the Indians are up against it payroll-wise. We know that. Um, they have these controllable starters. Uh, they got a, a big old heap of them at the top of their rotation. And that's a rare asset in today's game. It's a valuable asset in the trade market. Uh, And Corey Kluber, who's under control for three years, Carlos Carrasco for two, Trevor Bauer for two. Um, Those guys have obvious trade value. And for a team that could perhaps use some financial flexibility, uh, if you move one of those guys, you you save some money and you get some young bodies and maybe you can apply that money to the free agent market, to their needs in the outfield. Um, I'm sort of on board with this conceptually. Uh, Have to see what the deal is, of course. But uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, it's interesting. I think if so, if their financial situation is what it is, as we've kind of gone over ad nauseum, and I know how much fans love to hear about budget talks and restrictions, but it's the reality. And if that is the case, I think one of the the benefits right now is this division they're in. It affords them the ability to say, "Hey, okay, even if our depth at the back end of the rotation um, behind the major league cast isn't." You know, there's question marks there, but even with that, if you were to remove one of their marquee starters and address other needs in the process and potentially free up some money to further address needs, they're still going to enter next season as the, the favorites to win the division. The landscape of the division is it's helpful in that regard where you can maybe more realistically consider this. And as we've seen with the Indians over the past few years, Mid-season acquisitions are usually, uh, in in terms of adding dollars, that's usually the more realistic approach for the Indians when things are at more of a discount, but you're still getting impactful acquisitions and and players that you can maybe better forecast the second half of the season and the postseason what you need. Uh, that's always going to be the realistic approach. Hey, it's it's July. Here are our needs down the stretch. Here's how our roster shapes up looking at October. So if you eliminate one of those starters right now, you're still going to go in as a favorite in the division. And then you could, you know, any questions eliminating one of those guys would cause, you can use this winner and potentially the trade deadline and things like that to help answer some of those questions that would then follow. So I think they're in an interesting situation. And they're also, I think Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff in this front office doesn't want to do a rebuild. They want to sustain this. You know, everyone talks about the window 
I think they're trying to, I saw someone refer to it as like threading the needle. I think that's a great way of putting it of they're in this transitional phase of some veterans are coming off the roster. They're one of the older rosters in, in baseball overall, you know, so when you try and look at how can we address our needs, keep the payroll in the same level and not rebuild, but continue to sustain this contending team. And I think so considering the, trade from a surplus like the rotation it's just due diligence and it's just a smart way to go about it yeah and as we all know there's no such thing as a rotation surplus so you just you got to trade the guy who's going to get hurt in 2019 so whoever that is (laughs) trade him and then move on but you know yeah looking at jb uh so we're talking about kluber carrasco and bauer essentially as the controllable guys who have significant salary for 2019 and you know the, the more you look at it the more you think about it Corey kluber makes the most sense um, not that you want to trade a two-time Cy Young Award winner and a guy who was a finalist this year. Um, but, you know, Carrasco and Bauer are both going to make right in the neighborhood of $10 million. Bauer at arbitration, uh, Carrasco with his option for uh, for 2019. So right in the neighborhood of $10 million for those guys. That's good value. Kluber is uh, as a function of being so awesome and uh, routinely finishing uh, in the Cy Young running uh, is going to make around $17 million for 2019. So, you know, that's the more significant salary to shred. That is that is the, uh, you know, where the value equation is a little different. Um, and so that that makes sense. Uh, and, and maybe he's on the back end of his peak years. I think that's fair to say at his age and, and with his number of innings, uh, the most innings in baseball go back to 2013. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm kind of on board with the idea of shopping Corey Kluber and, and trying to make this work. Right. It's not that you're going to force a deal. It's not that you're you know, saying we have to trade him. It's surveying the marketplace and knowing that if you're going to do it, like it's it's realistic, it makes sense, and there's reasons behind it. And obviously we can't see the return right now, but if a trade like that were to happen, you know, once you can see what you get back, you know, maybe you, you look and you it makes more sense. But I think this Indians fan base, you know, they've you know, experienced the 2016 World Series falling just short the last two years. They've experienced the early exits. You know, they've reached a point in terms of expectations where the regular season doesn't matter. What All that matters is October. You have the history of this franchise trading Cy Young winners in the past and initiating rebuilds. So there is that angst that's built in in the fan base over hearing rumors like this. But again, if you sort of just logistically break it down, break down like you said, how much his salary is increasing, um, the years of control, the the team options, uh, the velocity that has ticked down over the last couple of years, but still uh, the quality production from Kluber. Maybe other teams go, okay, those things are there. Are, there is some decline, but this guy's smart enough as a pitcher to find other ways to get guys out. We saw this this year specifically relying less on his curveball um, and still putting up Cy Young worthy results. So. You know, this is a guy that could get a big haul, just like you mentioned, Carrasco and Bauer could get significant hauls as well. Um, So I just think, again, it's just due diligence. And when you're a team in the Indians position that has invested so much in the payroll beyond their comfort level over the last couple of years to try and achieve that World Series win, you know, you need to consider these types of things to to keep that window open and sustain it and, and try and navigate through those issues while continuing to push for that that championship. 
And by the way, you've got to love uh, Trevor Bauer weighing in on this on Twitter, playing uh, <laughs> playing GM on Twitter, where he, he responded to somebody asking him about the Yankees uh, not being interested in him, kind of kind of uh, joking around about that. And Bauer said, let's be honest, it makes no sense to trade me this year. I'm still playing at a massive discount. Next year is when it would make sense to trade me. So he has uh, uh, he has done the analysis of his own trade value. He's got his I finger have to on agree. the pulse. Yeah, he does. I, I'd <laughs> yeah. have to agree with Trevor Bauer on that one. It does. It makes more sense next year than this year. So, um, yeah. Also, but- he's been... He's been very public about, you know, we'll see if this happens, but he's been very public about wanting to try and sign one-year deals right. for his whole career. Like, you got to think, if he's that public about that, well, teams are going to look at that, and that's going to impact the type sure. of return they're considering. And, you know, so that's a little problematic too. But, yeah. uh, I mean, this is, he again, he's, a, he's right. I mean, he is a Cy Young caliber arm as well. If it weren't for that, uh, you know, the fluke injury that he su- sustained last year, you know, he might be a, one of the finalists right now. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually agreed with his take. It's just rare to see a player dis- <laughs> publicly and even in that public forum about his own teammates and about himself. Yeah. You know, that's that's what you get with Trevor Bauer. You get the rarity uh, in, in the Twitterverse. Um, so we're talking so much about the starting pitchers. That's only natural. That's where the most trade value lies, but there's other places the Indians could perhaps shed a few bucks and, and, you know, get a more, get more flexible. Perhaps, um, they have two guys, uh, at catcher who could probably start for most teams and Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez. Uh, so there's perhaps a value to be gleaned there. Uh, Yonder Alonso at first base, Jason Kipnis, they tried to move him last winter. It's not going to be any easier this winter. Um, he's making significant salary for 2019. Um, I mentioned they're going to keep Lindor and Ramirez, um, but yeah, the outfield's a mess right now. And so, any way you can uh, free up some bucks to, to help that out would help. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, by the way, I forgot to mention him, but that's another. That's a tough one. Uh, he'll be 36 yeah. year old DH in a market that just doesn't value the way. It, it's interesting. I mean, two years ago, uh, we're, we're talking industry-wide, that the Indians got uh, a great bargain on Edwin Encarnacion. But I don't think the Indians really viewed it that way. For them, it was still a, no. a major expenditure and a major reach uh, financially, a major, you know, put a lot of faith, quite frankly, uh, in the attendance remaining high and um, going on deep playoff runs. And that just hasn't happened. Attendance went down uh, in 2018, and they've played four playoff games with Edwin Encarnacion on the roster. So, um, so yeah, that, that value has eroded quickly. Especially, I mean, from the Indians' perspective, yeah, industry-wide, that was a great bargain. It was an overpay from the Indians' perspective, especially when this front office is the type that likes to structure these contracts with the trade market in mind, like the eventual trade market for that player. You know, when they build in these team options and, and the escalators, they're also thinking not only for themselves, but for, you know, like the situation with Kluber. If it reaches a point where it makes sense to explore trading them. They want to make sure the contract in place is a tradable contract. Um, and sometimes you, you have to kind of, you got to take a gamble or overpay to get a guy like Encarnacion who met so many needs at the time and his production has lived up to his career track record. But that's, that might be an immovable object that they have right now. It would be great. I think they explored it last year um, with the Red Sox Obviously, the Red Sox eventually get J.D. Martinez and Encarnacion stays put. But they've tried it in the past, and, and I think they're probably going to try it again. But by default, because he's a DH, the market is limited. And because the industry, as you noted, is kind of evaluating 
aging power a little differently than they did, you know, five, six, seven, ten years ago. You know, it's going to be hard to trade him. So I think some of those other guys that you mentioned are going to be, you know, if they can move Yonder Alonso and and create a situation where maybe Yandy Diaz could could be an option for first base, or you know, you got Bobby Bradley waiting in the wings in the in the relatively near future at AAA. You know, you've got some other moving parts on the diamond where if you can shed some of those other guys, the, the issue is there's not as much value there. You know, you're going to have to convince a team or maybe you're not getting as much in return or, you know, you think back to like, if you're considering Jason Kipnis, for example, you think back to the, the Swisher born trade where, you know, not that Kipnis's decline is to that extent, but it's a situation where it was more about roster flexibility than financial flexibility. Yeah. Uh, and, Sometimes those deals have to be considered like, okay, we're not getting an awesome return, but maybe it makes sense just so the puzzle pieces fit better. So those are all things they're going to weigh. And um, I think the trade market is going to have to be where they play. Otherwise free agency may not even be an option. And beyond, you know, attendance and uh, Encarnacion's contract and Kipnis's contract and all the other things that are affecting next year's budget, you got Francisco Lindor's arbitration case, and this is going to be a fascinating one. Um, yep. Will he set a record? The record is uh, for first-year arbitration-eligible player, uh, Chris Bryant, a year ago, $10.85 million. If that is the bar, does Francisco Lindor clear it? What do you think? I don't think he's going to, but I think he's going to come close. Um, I think it'll probably be over 10. I don't know. That's a tough one because he's a premier position. You know, it's shortstop. The the offensive numbers um, are, are under Bryant's at the time when he went into that first year of ARB, but Lindor's bringing much greater defensive value. Uh, and when you look at their, you know, the war per game, I put it in the, the latest inbox, you know, they're pretty much neck and neck over their careers. Lindor has more volume in terms of games played than Bryant did when he went in. So he's got a longer track record, um, and, you know, lots of, you know, when you go into arbitration, things like, you know, where you finish in MVP voting and uh, the awards you get, all that stuff factors in. And obviously Lindor has been piling up accolades along the way over the last couple of years. It's going to be a really interesting case. Um, I My gut says he doesn't set the record, but I think it's going to be really, really close. And, and the bigger point there is that is what's playing into this the situation that the Indians find themselves in is it's not just, Hey, you know, the ownership has opened up the pocketbooks over the last couple of years to get them up to, you know, right around 150 million at one point, you know, for the Indians and, and from my time on the beat and your time on the beat before me, I mean, 150 million seemed unfathomable at, at one point with this franchise. The fact that they're there shows what they've tried to do, but now this roster's kind of aging out and, and getting older. And getting these built-in raises and their well-earned raises, but it's put the team in a tough situation. So that'll, that'll be interesting to watch to see what Lindor gets um, because, again, that just further tightens up uh, the roster flexibility that this team has. Yeah, and they've got uh, Lindor under control for three more seasons, right. of course, but that you know that window can close quickly when when the arbitration dollars get out of hand. And then you have to start thinking about, okay. Yeah, and everyone, and everyone likes to... You know, fans like to say, why haven't they signed him to an extension? I mean, you have to know when they go into this arbitration negotiation, they're going to broach that again. Yeah. Um, they broached it in the past, and it just 
it takes two to tango. It's not always on the team when some of these guys are seeing what, I mean, this market specifically this winter with these free agents, you know, guys like Lindor and guys like Chris Bryant are going to sit back and see what Bryce Harper and Manny Machado get. And that's going to influence their own decision. Yeah, definitely. And, and two years ago, the Indians tried to sign Lindor, offered him nine figures. And all he's done since then is, uh, you know, he's won uh, two more, two silver sluggers and uh, finished in the top five, of the MVP vote last year. So um, he probably did the right thing, turning that down. Um, he's going to be in in this. Uh, we're, we're talking about Manny Machado and Bryce Harper this winter. I'll be Francisco Lindor in a few years. So I guess enjoy him while he's here. And yeah, it's going to be a fascinating winter in Cleveland, JB, as we uh, see all the moving parts and, and how they try to piece this thing together. Because you could bring back the exact same roster. We know that. Um, or at least what they have left after free agent departures and win the division. We know that, but uh, it's about trying to find a way to make this uh, more of an October caliber team, a team that can actually advance in October. And that might mean giving up a piece to get multiple pieces back. That's going to be really interesting to watch. Whatever happens, Jordan Bastion will be all over it for Indians.com. And we thank him for doing this. Thanks, JB. No problem.